Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you all for coming out tonight. Thank you for being in town this holiday week, right? And coming out here to be here, to be here tonight for our Bible study. I hope you receive a blessing from our time together and our study in the Word. Uh, let's bow before the Lord and pray and ask His blessings on our time. Our Father of grace, we thank you that we have the privilege to come together as your people tonight. And Lord, we are so often um, just, we, we don't think about what a great privilege it is to have your word and to have it um, at our fingertips every single day. Uh, throughout the history of the world, there are so many people that did not have access to a written copy of the word of God. Even today, many peoples around the world do not have access to your holy word. Father, we are thankful that we do, and we are thankful that we have the honor and privilege to come together as your people and study it and uh, to seek to apply it to our lives. Father, we pray your blessings on our time of study tonight. We pray that uh, you would uh, help us as we pray, that uh, we would do so in line with your will, and that we would seek uh, your glory and honor as we pray. And uh, Father, we just thank you for the fellowship of the saints and for the opportunity to gather tonight. We pray that you would be exalted and honored in all that we do. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, tonight my goal is to get through Ruth chapter 3 because it's all a single unit, but we'll see how far we get. Uh, but we're, we're going to start out in uh, Ruth chapter 3 in verse number 1. And just to kind of remind us of what has taken place so far, uh, chapter 1, uh, most of it, is in Moab. So you have uh, Elimelech and Naomi and their family leaving Bethlehem and going to Moab because of a famine. And in the process, all the men in the family die. Elimelech dies, uh, Naomi's two sons, Malon and Kilion die. Uh, but in the process of them being there, uh, she gains two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And uh, then they find out that Bethlehem has food again, that the house of bread has bread again. And so they make plans to go back to Judah, to Bethlehem, and they head out down the road. And Naomi says to Orpah and Ruth, you were better off staying here. There's more hope for you to find home, to find security, to find provision, to find a husband if you stay here. Orpah made that choice and she stayed in Moab. She stayed behind. But Ruth said, no, I'm sticking with you no matter what. And in Ruth 1, 16 and 17, we see her uh, pledge of devotion, really of covenant loyalty of wherever you go, I'm going, wherever you lodge, that's where I'm going to lodge. Uh, and your God's going to be my God, your people, my people. And so uh, Naomi and Ruth make the long journey back to Bethlehem providentially, just as the harvest was beginning. Food was coming in. Food was starting to be gathered. And then uh, Ruth chapter 2, the whole scene is Ruth in a field, in the field of Boaz. And the chapter begins with Ruth telling Naomi, I'd like to go out. Maybe I can find uh, favor in someone's eyes to glean in their field. And Naomi says, go ahead. And uh, the, the Bible says that Ruth just happened to come across the field of Boaz, who also happened to be a near relative, a kinsman, of Elimelech and Naomi and their family. And so um, Ruth starts to work in the field. She finds favor in his eyes and Boaz shows kindness to her. And really 
uh, in chapter two, we start to get a glimpse of the, the character of Boaz and how he not only uh, allows Ruth to be there and to glean, but really goes above and beyond uh, what would have been expected of him in showing grace and kindness to Ruth and, and telling his workers, leave some extra for her and uh, inviting her to come and eat at the midday meal and giving her enough leftover to take home to Naomi. So uh, Boaz is just showing incredible kindness. And then uh, Ruth comes home and at the end of the chapter, uh, she, Naomi, Naomi sees how much she has brought back and she knows that she's been blessed, that someone has been incredibly kind to her. And then Ruth says his name, Boaz, and Naomi then reveals to Ruth how significant that is, that she worked in the field of Boaz, that he is actually one of their near kinsmen, near relatives who could potentially serve as a goel, as a redeemer for the family. That's where we are at the beginning of chapter three. And in some ways, chapter three mirrors chapter two in terms of the scene because chapter two begins with Naomi and Ruth at home and uh, Ruth having a plan to go out and glean the fields. And then she's out away from the home with Boaz in the field. And then chapter two ends with her back with Naomi reporting everything that happened. Chapter three follows the exact same pattern. It's gonna begin with a plan, except this time instead of Ruth's plan, it's gonna be Naomi's plan. And then it begins at home and then Ruth goes out again to Boaz in the middle of the chapter. And then at the end, she comes back home again and reports how it went, how everything happened. So chapter two and chapter three are very closely in terms of their, their structure. And what we see in the first five verses of Ruth chapter three is God's providence and our plans and how those go together. God's providence and our plans. And we've already seen this theme in Ruth, how God's hand is moving. God's hand is weaving things together, even in such a way that, that Naomi can't see it. At the end of chapter one, Naomi recognizes God's providential hand, but she sees it as only being heavy, as only being hard. She can't see any good in it. But in chapter two, especially at the end, when Ruth comes home and, and shows Naomi all that she had gathered that day, I think Naomi begins to see that there's, there's some goodness in the providential hand of God and what he's doing. And that becomes even more evident in chapter three, where Naomi begins to see that God is moving on their behalf for their good and has arranged circumstances such that, um, that has provided an opportunity for, for Naomi and for Ruth. And so Naomi sees the door that has been opened by God's providence. And so she formulates a plan to go through that open door that God has opened by his providence. So what is the providence of God? The providence of God is God has brought food again back to Bethlehem, right? They showed up just as the harvest is beginning. That's no coincidence. That's God's providence. Ruth goes out and she picks a field, apparently at random, and she lands in the field of Boaz. That's not coincidence or chance, that's providence. Uh, Boaz turns out to be more than just a kind landowner. 
he turns out to be a close family relative who has the potential to be a provider, a redeemer for the family. That's not chance or coincidence. That's God's providence. And so God has provided all of that in his providence, opened up those opportunities. Naomi now with the eyes of faith and seeing that God has arranged these, these things says, now here's what I think we should do. And I think there's an important lesson in that is sometimes we can, if we're not careful, we can develop a, a bad theology of providence. A bad theology of providence would be uh, more, in the line, more along the lines of fate, that uh, God has a will, God has a plan, he has a decree. It doesn't matter what I do, that's how it's gonna end up. That's the idea of fate. That's not the biblical perception or, or way that it describes God's providence, the way it works in the world. God's providence works with and through our actions and our plans. And so trusting in the providence of God can never be an excuse to not do things, to not make decisions, to not uh, go into action. Uh, and, and I think sometimes too, we hear in the Bible, like, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, which we do need to wait on the Lord, but waiting on the Lord doesn't necessarily always mean waiting and doing nothing. Waiting on the Lord means still we do what we're supposed to be doing. We, we make uh, righteous choices. We, we seek to obey the Lord in our choices, all the while being patient and waiting for what God's going to do. So waiting on the Lord is not doing nothing and trusting in the providence of God, that God is providentially guiding and controlling all things is never an excuse to do nothing. And so Naomi really provides here a good model of how our plans and actions merge in harmony with God's providence. And so somehow in a way beyond what we can comprehend, we make plans and we fulfill those plans and we carry out those plans and actions. And at the same time, perfectly concurrent and harmonious, God's plan is also being accomplished. Exactly as God knew that it would and planned that it would from the beginning of time. And so they merge together in, in harmony. And so Naomi understands that God's providence is working, it's moving, it's always behind the scenes, but that there are also plans to be made. And so she's, thinking, she's been thinking about this opportunity that has presented itself. And we don't know exactly um, how long of a gap of time there is between chapter two and chapter three. Uh, the first day that Ruth comes home with all this grain and then Naomi's plan here at chapter three. I would like to think there may have been a little bit of time between these two uh, for Naomi to think about this and, and also for the, the kindness of Boaz to continue to flourish in in Ruth's life and as Ruth continues to glean in his fields. So I'd like to think maybe there's a little bit of time that transpired there, but, it, but it's hard to know. And so Naomi says uh, to Ruth in verse number one, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. So now Naomi takes it upon herself to provide for Ruth. 
It's the opposite side of the coin from the first part of chapter two. Chapter two, Ruth says, I need to go out and provide for us, for you, Naomi. I need to go out and find some, go find a field and find food and bring it home. Now Naomi is planning to provide for Ruth. And it also is in this, uh, Naomi is seeking to fill uh, a, a desire of hers, a, a, an obligation that she feels toward Ruth, and that is to provide a, a home, a husband for her. And you can see that desire of Naomi all the way back in chapter one, when they were leaving Moab and she says to both Orpah and Ruth, you, you're better off staying here so you can find a home, find rest in the home of another husband. You have more opportunity for that here. But now that Ruth has come with Naomi, she still feels that sense of, I need to seek to find a, a home and a husband for Ruth, if possible, here. And so God's providence has opened up this door of opportunity. And so in verse two, she explains to Ruth how this is going to work, how Naomi has thought this through, and here's her plan. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be, on, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. And so um, there is, uh, a, in this, Naomi beginning to describe how I want you to carry out this plan. And so she's going to explain it in detail so that Ruth knows exactly what to do. Because if you think about it, uh, Ruth is a foreigner, right? So she is a, a Moabitess. She's, she's not familiar with all of the customs of Israel, social customs, marriage customs, customs with uh, redeeming family and land. And so Naomi's explaining to her, this is what I want you to do. And then Ruth has to trust, right? Ruth trusts Naomi and in, in, in to follow through on that and do what Naomi has instructed her. And so tonight he's going to be on the winnowing, uh, on the threshing floor, winnowing barley. So uh, normally what they would do is after a day's work, we, they would come like maybe to a higher elevated place where maybe up on a hill and there was a hard piece of ground, maybe even a stone that they had placed there and they would beat uh, the grain, whatever kind it was. And, and in doing that, they would try to separate the good grain from the chaff. And the reason why they would do this in open air and maybe up on a hill is more breeze, more wind that would blow away the bad, the chaff from, from what this is. And so uh, maybe in the cool of the evening, uh, after the sun had set, He's up there uh, beating out the grain. And Naomi says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes, and then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. We all know what's coming in Ruth chapter 3, right? Everyone in this room has read this story before. We know what's coming essentially... Ruth, following Naomi's advice and plans, Ruth is essentially going to ask Boaz to marry her, right? And one of the questions is, why? Why, why does that become Ruth's uh, initiative to, to ask Boaz to do that for her? Uh, why hasn't Boaz already taken that initiative himself, 
That's one of the questions that we think about when we read this story. And I think there are a few things to think about with regard to that. One is maybe just the difference in age between Boaz and Ruth. Boaz doesn't take the initiative to ask Ruth to marry him because maybe he thinks she would rather have a younger husband. In fact, that, that uh, idea of, of Ruth not going after younger men comes up later in the chapter. And so maybe there was that age difference that maybe held Boaz back. Uh, another uh, possibility that comes into the story is Boaz is not the closest in line to fulfill this obligation for the family. And so Boaz doesn't take the initiative because he knows that there's another who is first in line. But there's another possibility here too. And that is with this verse, Ruth chapter three, verse three, with a parallel in second Samuel chapter 12, verse 20. And in second Samuel chapter 12, verse 20, we have a very similar sequence of words in which David washed himself, anointed himself, and put on a garment, same Hebrew word that is found here, and he went down. So that same sequence to wash, to anoint with oil, to put on a garment, same Hebrew word, and then to go down. That same sequence of actions is found in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20. And the significance of that is that David has finished mourning for his son. So there's been a period of mourning for his son who had died. When that period of mourning was over, he washed, anointed, put on new clothing, and then went on. And some have suggested, based on that parallel, that up until this point, Ruth has been wearing the clothing of widowhood that has been expressing still that she is in mourning, that she is a widow and not yet ready for someone to ask her uh, to marry them. And so in doing this, Ruth is potentially, by putting on this new garment, washing, anointing with oil, now making, uh, making it clear that her period of mourning is over and she is open to the possibility of marriage. And so that's maybe another reason why Boaz didn't take the initiative is that Ruth had not yet indicated that she was ready for that. That's one possibility. And so Naomi says, do this. I want you to uh, prepare yourself, get ready, and then go down to the threshing floor. But I want you to do it uh, silently, secretly. I don't want him to know that you're there yet. And wait on until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Why? Because it's going to be dark, right? So look where he's lying down because after dark, it's going to be hard to find him. So note where he's lying down. And then after he has finished eating and drinking, when he's asleep, probably been some time now that it's transpired after Boaz has fallen asleep. And uh, why was he sleeping there? Some have suggested that uh, just tired from the day's work, he fell asleep. Uh, some have suggested that in that time, in that culture, especially during the time of the judges, 
that maybe the, the landowner would stay with his uh, produce to make sure that it wasn't stolen or, or messed with in any way. And so he would guard it uh, by sleeping there uh, with it. That's another possibility. Or maybe it was just a cool, nice evening that he wanted to stay there. But uh, Naomi knows that this is where he's going to be. And so she tells Ruth to do this. And after he's fallen asleep, after he's satisfied, after a long day's work, after he is asleep, I want you to go and I want you to lie down at his feet and then uncover his feet. And he will tell you what to do. Now, there are some commentators, especially the more liberal kind, that suggest that there's more going on here than what the words describe. They want to see some of the language here as euphemism for more, for, for sexuality. And I think the, the larger context of the passage doesn't allow for that. It doesn't allow for that. Because all throughout this passage, the thing that is emphasized more than anything else is both the, the character of Boaz and the character of Ruth. Both of them are held up as virtuous people. And, and there is, and, and also the way the language unfolds in the next few verses, it's clear that what Ruth is doing here is a part of a formal ritual or tradition. And so this is not, we're not, part of the problem with modern interpreters is that they, they can see sex in everything. I mean, literally, you read liberal commentators on the Bible and they're reading between the lines all the time to find stuff that just isn't there when all we really have to do is just read the words and see what it's trying to tell us. And I think the text here is pretty straightforward that what we have here is a, a custom, a, a ritual that by the time that Ruth is being written had become unfamiliar to the Israelites which suggests there was some passage of time from the time of these events to the time when this story was actually written down by the author of Ruth. And we know that Ruth had to have been written at least after David had become king, because at the end of the book, it describes his genealogy. And so well into the reign of David, so at least a few generations, they're looking back to this story and the author goes out of his way to describe certain elements of the culture, certain elements of these ritualistic procedures so the reader would understand because by that time they had fallen out of use. And so here he's, he's describing how this would go. And so Ruth comes, she lies down at his feet and uh, she uncovers his feet and Naomi has put such great faith in Boaz that all she tells Ruth is just do whatever he says. Go uncover his feet. And from that point on, just do what Boaz says, because he'll tell you how this is going to go. And so that's the kind of, of trust that Naomi and Ruth have put in Boaz that they would take this action. And so verse five says of, of Ruth, I will do whatever you say. And the way that it's phrased is all, everything that you have said, I will do. And we're going to see her carry that out. And so verses one through five is God's providence and our plans. And those things are not contradictory at all. In fact, they work harmoniously together. 
And so I think one of the things that these first five verses teach us is that those who recognize the providential hand of God respond with righteous plans. So we see God moving. We know that God is moving. We know he's providential in all things. And so we plan accordingly and we seek to do what's right, what's good, what's best. And for Naomi, this was a righteous plan, wasn't it? She's looking out for Ruth. She's looking out for her well-being. She's looking out for her long-term care and protection and provision. And so this is a righteous plan that she is uh, telling Ruth to enact. And then in the second part of the chapter, we see God's providence and our actions. And this uh, is worked out in the way that Ruth carries out Naomi's counsel. And so she went down to the threshing floor and did everything that her mother-in-law told her to do, kind of reemphasizing verse five, that she carried it out perfectly. And then when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. And Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. Verse seven doesn't explicitly say it, but there's the assumption there that some time had passed and Boaz had fallen asleep by the time that that Ruth comes and lies down and uncovers his feet. In verse eight, it says, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. So uh, maybe just from the the cool air blowing on his feet, uh, he's, he's awakened. He's stirred in the middle of the night. And uh, maybe he turns to grab his covers or whatever, and he notices something's different. There's a woman lying at his feet, and it's dark. And so he asks, who are you? She says, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. So there are several things going on in this verse. One is Ruth, the word that she uses for servant is a step up from the way that she first referred to herself in the field when she met Boaz. So when she first met Boaz, she referred to herself as a slave girl. And now the word that she uses is a little bit higher up in terms of a position of dignity maybe thinking of herself now, not as just a slave, but as potential to be a wife, to be uh, his bride. And so she refers to herself with this, this different word. But what's also remarkable about verse nine is that here, Ruth doesn't exactly fulfill what Naomi told her to do, but she actually does more, doesn't she? She does more. Because what did Naomi say? Naomi said, go, uncover his feet, lie down, and then he will tell you what to do. But here's Ruth, and notice what she does. She uncovers his feet. He says, who are you? She identifies herself. Then she says, here's what I would like you to do for me. Spread the corner of your garment over me. And the word that is used there is the idea of of an edge, of an extremity, the, the wing of something. One way of saying it is, spread your wing over me. It's the same word that Boaz used back in chapter two when he said, blessed are you because you have come to seek refuge under the wings of God. 
Here, Ruth is specifically asking him to be that wing. Spread your, the corner, the edge of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. So Ruth has been told enough and understands enough that she knows what's going on here. She understands the ritual. She understands the custom, but also understands the meaning of the custom. And that is, I am asking you to, to take me as your wife, but also to serve as this special position of a goel, of a, a relative, a near kinsman redeemer for the family. So Ruth is asking of him not only to take her as his wife, but also to serve this function of redeemer, provider, guardian for Naomi and the larger family. And notice, uh, so she fulfills everything and more that uh, Naomi had told her to do. And so we see in Ruth that those who recognize the providential hand of God respond with action and wholehearted obedience. So Naomi is seeing the providential hand of God and she makes plans accordingly. Ruth is seeing the providential hand of God and she fulfills, she acts, she puts into practice what uh, in response to what the Lord is doing. And then the last part of the chapter is focused on the character of both Boaz and Ruth. And so we see God's providence and our character. Verse 10, here's Boaz's response. The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. What does he mean when he says, this kindness is more than that which you showed before? Well, the word is chesed, this word that pops up often in the Hebrew Old Testament, meaning kindness, loyalty, faithfulness, mercy. And the last time that Boaz used it was in chapter two, referring to Ruth in her commitment to stay with to stay with Naomi no matter what. And so the first act of Ruth's kindness, of her uh, faithfulness, loyalty, was in showing it to Naomi. This second one is also showing that same kindness to Naomi. How so? Because, as Boaz says, she could have gone after a younger man to become his wife. But what would that have meant for Naomi and for her family line and for the larger family inheritance and estate? But what he's saying of her is, you didn't act selfishly here. You could have gone after the younger men, either rich or poor, but you have done something kind, not necessarily for me, but for Naomi, because you have asked me to do this for you, you're actually looking out for Naomi. And so he says, this kindness is actually more than the first one that you showed. It's kindness on top of kindness, essentially. And now my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. There's that phrase, virtuous woman. 
that the only other time in the Bible it's found is Proverbs 31. A virtuous woman who can find. And in the Hebrew order of books, Ruth comes right after Proverbs. Ruth is the answer to that question. Who can find a virtuous woman? Well, here's an example of one in the story of Ruth. She is a virtuous woman. And Boaz is a virtuous man, isn't he? Because he says, I'm going to do this. I'm going I'm to carry this out for you. But there's a problem. Here's the problem. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. In other words, there's somebody first in line before me. That throws a little wrench into the story, doesn't it? Now, all of these are true events. This, this actually happened in Hebrew history, but the writer of Ruth is a great storyteller also because he brings a little bit of tension into the story. Everything's going to work out great, but here's a potential snag in the story. We got to see how this works out. There is someone who is closer related, first in line before me. This also shows Boaz's character, doesn't it? Because he recognizes his place. That there is, I, I can take this, I can take this land for myself, I can take this opportunity, but it's not yet mine to take. He sees his right and proper place in that. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until the morning. And so Boaz, again, affirms his commitment to do it. But also notice how quickly he is planning to make sure this gets done. He's not going to waste any time, is he? I will do this. In fact, we'll take care of this in the morning, right away. Stay here, sleep here for the night. And as soon as morning comes, we're going to take care of this. I'm going to go find this other relative. And if he'll redeem you, then fine. But if not, I will do it. And he adds an oath onto it. As surely as the Lord lives, I will do it lie here until the morning. And the word that's used there of lying down is the word that's used back in chapter one when Ruth told Naomi, where you lie down, I will lie. Where you lodge, I will lodge. When she said that in Ruth 1, 16 and 17, she probably had no idea that that would include lying at the feet of someone, asking him to spread his garment over her to take her as his wife in marriage and become the family redeemer. But that was faith, wasn't it? Where you go, I'll go. Where you lie down, I will lie down. Your God, my God. Not knowing exactly how it would work out, but she made that commitment. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. Why? Because they're people of character. I don't want anybody to think something went on here last night because nothing went on here last night. So they wanted to maintain not only their character, but even the reputation of their character. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. Why? So that she won't go home empty handed. So that there is a, a commitment 
of goodwill from him to carry out his promise. And not only commitment to her, but also to Naomi so that she has more food as well. And showing his providing, not only for Ruth, but also for Naomi. And so he goes into town in the morning. Why? To fulfill what he said he was going to do. Then the scene transitions back to the house of Naomi and Ruth. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? And then she told her everything that Boaz had done for her. The, the Hebrew language in verse number 16 is really interesting because literally a, a straight word-for-word -word translation of verse 16 is, Naomi says to Ruth, who are you? She comes through the door and Naomi says, who are you? Why would she say that? Well, she knows who she is, but she wants to know who she is now after the events of last night. What did he say? Who are you now? And she explained her everything that Boaz said and did for her. And she added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty handed. Do you remember what Naomi said at the end of chapter one? We went out full, but we have come back empty. And I made the comment then, she really wasn't coming back empty-handed, was she? She was coming back to a full harvest. She was coming back with Ruth. From her uh, perspective of under this weight of all the tragedies that she had gone through, she felt like she was coming back empty-handed without husband, without sons, but she was not coming back empty-handed. She was coming back with Ruth, a lifetime companion, and the way that God was gonna ultimately provide for her and her family. She wasn't coming back empty-handed. And so this little uh, gift of goodwill from Boaz is just a reminder that no, God is filling her up. God's filling her up. He's providing for her. She's not empty-handed at all. And then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. That's trust in Boaz's character. She knows what kind of man he is. So in the book of Ruth, Boaz is referred to as a man of character, of virtue, of strength. Ruth is referred to as a woman of character, of virtue, of strength. Both of those characters are the only ones that are referred to that way in Ruth. And both of their characters are highlighted in that way as being people of honor and of character. And so Naomi trusts that Boaz is gonna fulfill his word. And so in this last part of the chapter, we see that those who recognize the providential hand of God respond by displaying noble character. So trusting in God's providence means that we recognize that the providence of God provides us with opportunities to respond with faith-driven plans, righteous character, and actions. And so we trust the providence of God. We know that it's always there, it's always working. As Paul says in Romans 8, 28, it's always working for our good. But how do we respond to that? What's our role? What's our responsibility? We make righteous plans. We seek to live out those righteous plans with righteous actions, and we seek to display righteous character in our lives. And in so doing, God's providence works 
in and through all of those plans and actions. And his will is accomplished for our good. So the providence of God never gives us a license to just sit back and do nothing. Rather, the providence of God actually propels us into action, knowing that God is with us and guiding and accomplishing for us what we can't do. And he is accomplishing his will and purpose in the meantime. Praise be to God that he is always working. Sometimes behind the scenes, we can't see it, but he's always working and he's moving in and through us to accomplish his purposes. Let's bow in prayer together. Father God, we thank you for the story. We thank you for the way that we read in this story how your goodness was being worked out and your providential uh, actions toward Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. And Lord, we thank you for the example that we see in these characters of of faith driving them to make plans, of faith uh, driving them to pursue noble actions and to live out noble character. Father, help us to always trust you. And because we trust you, help us then to seek to live and to take actions that are in line with your, with your word and your will. Father, bless us as your people and continue to teach us from your word. And we pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen.